we're in interesting times. Like cost per click, cost per action has gone up like crazy in the last like 12 months. So it's like, this is not the time for most businesses have the extra margin to be dumping a whole bunch into pay-per-click. But this is a great time to actually start building a bank of organic content. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. On today's episode, I get to speak with Kurt O'Lear, and Kurt is a globally recognized marketer, operator, and speaker. He's built and run businesses from startup to over 500 million in annual revenue, assembled teams across six continents, been a part of the small team leading an IPO at 88 million, and participated in dozens of acquisitions. He was at the front lines creating several of the marketing channels that we all use today, including social media management, influencer marketing, and location-based marketing. In recent years, he has focused on helping individual business owners and marketing agencies with a heavy focus on real estate in the United States. Kurt and his team have analyzed more than 50,000 real estate websites over each of the past three years, and the agent businesses behind them to identify what works and what doesn't in modern marketing. And we're gonna talk all about influencer marketing and how to thrive in the influence economy. We're also gonna get a little vulnerable and talking about leadership and being a servant leader. So you're gonna definitely wanna listen to this one. We went on for a long time. We probably could have talked all day, but uh, definitely tune in. But first it's time for our Marketing Essentials moment, the basics that you need to help you continue to build your brand and your bottom line. Today's topic, we're going to cover unaided versus aided awareness in brand awareness. Okay, so there's really two types. Well, there's probably more than those two types, but we're just going to focus on awareness and if it's aided or unaided. And really brand awareness is basically where you are recalling the brand that you want. And it can also be where it's unaided recall or occasionally spontaneous recall, where brand recognition is recalled without giving the brand name in a survey or when you're doing a focus group or a one-on-one interview, when you create unaided awareness for your brand, that means that people know about your brand, that they know that you are in business, that you exist, right? And these types of awareness operate in different ways. And it's really important to understand the implications in your marketing strategy and your advertising efforts to know where you're at in your level of unaided versus aided awareness in your audience that you're wanting to target. And so ways that you can create unaided awareness, where brand awareness is things that they can do. You're you're wanting to raise that awareness so that when people ask, hey, where's the best barber shop in town, then somebody automatically responds to that and says what that is and can tell you, oh, it's going to be XYZ company. And you want your company to be one that's top of mind. Maybe it's unaided awareness to where when you are job searching and you want to find a job, What website do you go to? What automatically comes to mind without me even telling you different job websites to search to get applications in or put your resume up? What are some sites that come to mind immediately without me saying it? That is unaided awareness, what you just did and thought of a brand that I didn't even tell you what those brands were. Now, if you wanted 
aided awareness, you could list out the different job search sites, and then somebody could pick from a list as to what, and they could they could rank them and the top priority of what they would think of first and where they would go for first if they were looking for a job, for example. And then they could rank them in order of priority or what they know of them. However, you pose that question to them if they're to do a survey or if you're asking those questions from them. But things that you can do to increase that unaided awareness if, if in getting the brand name out there, we know that it takes 11 to 13 times for people to see or hear or experience the brand to even recognize what is happening or that you have heard of that brand before. So if you can think of ways that you can increase that brand awareness, um, maybe it's for a cause, right? Maybe it's it's a, a brand that you feel passionate about or that you are a part of or that you're a board member on. You can do things like wear the clothing, logo wear, t-shirts, hats, using rubber stamps, I don't know, silicone wristbands, right? Buttons, pins, all the things that you can do to display the name or display the cause. You can put the little avatar on your, or little banner on your avatar, all kinds of fun things. You can raise money, you can donate and then share that you've donated. You can volunteer and participate and take photos and put those on social media. You can talk about it online, in person, word of mouth will fuel and accelerate accelerate that brand awareness. You can do more research and you can recruit people, all the things that are going to help build that awareness. Now, if it's a retail, you know, retail product or a service that you want people to have unaided awareness, then maybe it's getting those services out there. Maybe it's getting on the news. It's getting publicity. It's getting awareness and recognition in a variety of different ways, right? So thinking about that recognition that people can recognize the brand because you've put it out in front of them in the right place and space and time into the right audience that need your product or service. What is it that's, what's it going to take to get them to acknowledge that your brand exists, that they want to have an experience with your brand and do those types of things, right? And that's where advertising comes in, where you're putting the, the message in front of them. It's aided awareness. You are aiding them along into wanting them to Get your message out in front of them and doing the things where there's calls to action, where they're going to act upon what it is that you're wanting them to do. And then you're going to think about the messaging and how you're going to have that message look and feel and present. And, and, you know, if it's imagery, if it's visuals, if it's video, what are you doing to help aid in that process of having that brand recognition and awareness factor increase over time? And that's where we can track those types of things where you can, you can track unaided awareness by doing the surveys and not listing the brands, or you can track aided awareness where you list all the brands and you can see and use that as a benchmark and understand, okay, at the beginning of this time period, how many people know about my brand that I send out to a sample population versus not. And then in six months from now, you can do the same survey and then see if your increase is, is happening. And what kinds of things are, are, are increasing that aided awareness? So anyway, those are the differences between unaided and, aware, and aided awareness. And of course, our goal in marketing and advertising and all of the things that we do is to help increase that awareness factor unaided so that way then they can choose you when the time comes, when you're in the right place at the right time with the right message and in front of the right audience. All right, let's get to our wonderful interview and we will have even more nuggets coming up. 
Welcome to the Marketing Expedition. I am your host, Ray Allen. I am the president and CEO of Pepper Shock Media and the founder of the Marketing Expedition community. We're going to go on a marketing journey today, folks. Here we go. And our guest today is Kirk. Welcome to the show, Kirk. Hey, thanks for having me. And say your last name for me just so I make sure I say it right. Euler. Euler. Okay. <laughs> I always try to make sure that it's the right one. So Kirk Euler, welcome. And Kirk, let's just share a little bit more about you and your background and you have a pretty fascinating story to tell. So let's just uh, start with kind of what got you into this world and, and then go from there. And you've got some pretty cool stuff to talk about. So let's hear it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I started uh, actually earlier on as a business. I mean, I, I built my first hours actually to Bell Lab before I was 10. Um, which is kind of the apple of the day. But um, I, uh, I started two businesses that um, uh, progressed well enough when I was 13, I was going to have to file major taxes because I had employees in both by 14. And so um, from there, I just kind of just started this whirlwind of, of growing companies and didn't realize till I got out of college that I was just really good at scaling things. And so um, I've ended up in marketing high tech for most of my life. Um, help start three of the marketing channels that we all use today, location-based marketing, influencer marketing, and social media management, and um, was at the very early stages of, of, of all of those. And so um, that's kind of a unique place, but I tend to be at really big companies um, and have kind of found myself in real estate for the last, you know, almost five years at this point. So Fantastic. Well, let's dig into a little more about the channels that you helped create and go for. Let's talk about each one of those a little bit more. Yeah, we the the initial thing was we started with location based marketing. We think about all the you know Google Maps is where you know so many of us embed in websites for clients and things nowadays, and we see it in search. But um, but even even today, Google's uh, a, a small player compared to a company that's called Here Technologies, and so it had been um, R and D house of Philips Electronics. They dumped uh, about eight hundred million dollars into it, and we ended up taking that company public, raising uh, going from eighty five million dollars a year in revenue to like $1.44 billion a year in revenue. And so tons of uh, ton, tons of different, I mean, we think about all the industries that use uh, use maps or spatial data or traffic data. Um, but but during that time, we, uh, we, you know, my small team and I, we invented uh, the technology that's now used uh, and licensed by Waze and uh, at Google and uh, Apple Maps and a bunch of others. And um, basically, you know, for better or worse, any of the targeting of wherever people are, where we are based on our location through servers, we have the core technology and patents around that. And so uh, that was very early on in that days. And now it's just like, I mean, we've all been using that for more than a decade at this point. So that's awesome. I know I kind of forget about Waze. I like Waze. It's kind of fun. I, I need to reintroduce that into my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, it's. It's definitely not nice, uh, nice one going on longer travels. You know, it'll always get you there. And you know, if you're locals, I find you always have a. I always tend to know a little bit better route or way I'd rather take. But uh, especially if like I'm in Atlanta, and so uh, with this big uh, interstate that circles the city, you know, like if you're on the other side of it, there's no. I mean, unless you're a local right there, if traffic happens, you don't know where to go. But ways will get you there. That's right. That's right. Well, that's pretty incredible to be a part of something like that, that now is like global, universally used and, and, you know, saves so much time for people to be able to get from point A to point B. I know I definitely rely on all of the maps. <laughs> I need the maps to get where I need to go. So it's, uh, 
much different than having to pull out the paper and unfold it and try to navigate where you're going. So that's, uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I didn't start that company. I mean, the company had been around for 20, 25 years by the time we joined. It just, had just, we were, you know, we were part of the team that, uh, that made it kind of operational in it. We were actually just so large degree. I mean, it was so large because of car navigation systems were actually where the bulk of the revenue was. And it was just the right time for mobile devices to kind of take off and, I mean, you mentioned like print maps. I mean, gosh, I'm trying to think probably even back since like as of like maybe 1995, 1996, even like the Rand McNally maps, we still all get from like our insurance companies and stuff where you can still buy. Uh, those actually were printed from the digital maps from that company. So um, <laughs> even when it's print, it's still digital. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty amazing. I do remember <laughs> printing off I, what was it? Yahoo Maps or something. And you'd get like 10 pages of all the extra, you know, <laughs> internet printed pages to get you where you had to go until you realize, oh, you could, there's, they created apps for that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was great. We helped uh, negotiate that deal with, um, with uh, Yahoo Maps with MapQuest um, back. At, and so it, um, going from a like, hey, they didn't think anything about it, but I, I mean, it may have been like a, oh, gosh, I think like, Five, you know, half a cent per route, or if they somebody just pulled up a map, maybe it was a tenth of a cent or something like that. And they they thought it was going to be some great deal. And I mean, that again, that's when the internet blew up at that time. And so um, it ended up being a very lucrative uh, contract for us, but also helped shift, helped be the foundation for shifting for from just the price for a DVD and a Lexus to to how you actually you know fund something that's going to be used transactionally online. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So then um, from locational, then the next um, area that you focused on, let's, let's share about that. Um, yeah. I ended up uh, joining and being mentored by a gentleman named Reggie Bradford. He was a three peat entrepreneur. Um, he'd started, uh, well, came into um, a company called Vitru. And so I think same thing, kind of think about social media management. And so uh, nowadays, we all use some scheduling, uh, some scheduling software. Facebook it has it built in um, for some of it. But um, before Facebook had pages, there was Vitru, and so we actually helped them with pages, the APIs. And uh, originally, there were only two big enterprise companies. We were one of those two. And then, um, as individual marketers or you know agents, and um, they would have used Hootsuite, which would have been the competitor more for the individual social media manager. And so. Uh, Oracle ended up buying that company, kind of uh, imploded or fizzled out after a, a couple of years within there. Um, but but uh, you know that that was that put us early on in the days. Even in, you know my teams helped manage uh, you know Apple's uh, social media back in the day, um, but used by social media anything from Samsung uh, from Samsung Mobile to Shane's Shane's Rib Shack here in Atlanta. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, definitely. I remember using a lot of the different social media management tools, including Hootsuite for a long time. And you're right. It was definitely one of those things, especially for agencies to be able to use and manage and sort of hack our way through to get, you know, being able to manage other people's pages and, and do all of that. And uh, yeah, it was really helpful to be able to, to do that and get the reports and then show your clients kind of the ways that things were working on their socials. Because at the time, a lot of clients had never even been on social media. So I remember using that tool to make myself look really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and even our, while we were in enterprise play down to kind of some of the mid-market, it was amazing still. I mean, we, we all see this in all areas of marketing today is like there, the tools, 
tool marketing tools are great and marketing technology in the stack has only gotten more complicated but it almost makes it harder for individual businesses to actually do a lot of that themselves but it's easier for us as marketers to manage that for people um because like even back then it's like there's so many of these large brands where like it was actually our team that was managing all of their content um all of their scheduling actually doing the work even though like samsung mobile might have had an agency that was doing the creatives they would send it over to us to actually put it in the tool and it's like that's still the same it's the case whether for most agents that real estate agents today or plumbers or e-commerce companies like it does it takes somebody to do that work where it's like i think too often people just go oh like it's social media it's free it still takes personal time so somebody needs to do it and it's well do you, do you pay somebody to do it or do you do it yourself yeah that's the organic growth that people pay for <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's the way organic media or social media is paid. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And yeah, and now even today, still creating the content and creating what's going to be the most viable and visible for the people that you want to see it is definitely, um, you know, being a pioneer in the industry. Thank you again for paving the way for those of us that use those tools because it's definitely a lifesaver for us. And now we use a tool, agencies use it. It's a, we call it Pepper Post. It's just a white label version of, and we use Cloud Campaign. And okay. same thing, we can use all of those tools to be able to schedule everything and they'll have it in one dashboard. And it's just lovely to be able to manage it and maintain it and, you know, be able to collaborate with our clients because they can get in there and look at it and approve it. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so much better than giving a password to someone. I, I just like to an agency and letting it work. It's like some, so I find some clients, you know, people want to be really involved and some people just want to check in every once in a while, but uh, the platforms give people that, that feeling of transparency so they can be as involved as they would like to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, and then the third area that you were at the forefront, the pioneer in, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that you were a pioneer in that area is influencer marketing. Yeah. Yeah. We started one of the earlier influencer marketing platforms. I mean, there, I mean, there's always been influencer marketing. I mean, heck back as long as people have been doing any sort of marketing, it's like, but, um, but the, the real platform for going out and, and spidering content, looking for potential more, more long tail micro influencers. And so I think too often businesses always look for the, the really big, big players where it's like, you know, so, so we were much more focused on, hey, how do you go out and, and we kind of started as partnership marketing and very much shifted to that long term, uh, long tail or micro influencer where it's like, yeah, like my aunt might only have 75 people that like her and, uh, you know, are friends with her on Facebook. But if she recommends a restaurant or a plumber, like that's a way stronger recommendation than what any celebrity could ever do. Right. Yeah. Influencer marketing is sort of word of mouth advertising on steroids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just being intentional with it really much more. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's what they always say is word of mouth advertising is the best form of advertising. So if you can do things to accelerate it, it's going to help you and your brand and, and do that. So, okay, let's talk a little bit more though than the platforms that you have helped create as far as what influencers can use now and brands can use now to be able to, is it kind of like a matchmaking service? Is it, you know, how does it work? Yeah, well, that that company has been sold off as well. Um, and so um, I, I left it six or six or seven years ago at this point, but um, it started much more of helping initially helping um, brands 
um, instead of basically like run giveaways, run campaigns to their own audience, pushing those out through through maybe, you know, 1500 uh, you know, influencers within their campaign, like, hey, why give away, you know, if you're Nike or you're, you know, Bass Pro Shops, why give away some gift cards just to your audience? Instead, go give those out to, you know, 1500 people's other smaller audiences and uh, spread it out that way. And um, that was good. Um, and so um, it did work, but um, so often still like with marketers, as we kind of talked about with, you know, individual businesses, it's like marketers kind of want more, even the, rather than even the, the relationships they often have. And so where it really found success was uh, going out and originally I, I hacked at home um, through the Twitter API and some Google Sheets, being able to go out and scrape Twitter um, to be able to pull in follower counts and followers and bios and stuff. And uh, that definitely evolved well beyond that, but be able to basically go out and, and crawl uh, social media to, to help identify potential influencers and, uh, and just data on them. Cause that, that's, that's what, that's what, uh, you know, at least on the, the midsize and, and larger agencies, that tends to be at least what they're selling is the possibilities to clients where what I do like so much about, you know, agencies that helps, you know, smaller midsize businesses is, Hey, we sell results as opposed to sometimes bigger agencies are selling hopes and dreams. And it's like, at the end of the day, hey, if it's a company that's like less than $10 million a year in revenue, like it's about results. You're not paying for, for hopes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, the possibility versus the actual results that are going to come through. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a big difference for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that influencer marketing has definitely has evolved since it really, like you said, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but in the terms of where you're using how many followers people have and engagement and, and all of those types of things, and if are they the right kind of fit for you? But I always have to think about words of caution where people can endorse something or, you know, be a face of the brand. Well, what if they get in trouble, right? Yeah. Well, and we see that a lot even in the news now where it's like, um, because there is very, there's a big mix, I think, especially like in any uh, like uh, advertising or, or, or real mar larger marketing uh, publications, like if ad age writes about influencer marketing, what they actually mean, if you read any of ad ages stuff is they, they mean paid influencers, which is really no different than advertising to that point. So it's like, it's a spokesperson. Um, for me, especially in the midsize and long-term influencer marketing is just organic. Like, Hey, the people that walk into your store and engage with you, they're telling your stories one way or the other. So they're, they're, you know, and so like, I'm, I'm a core believer in using influencer marketing from the organic side where I don't pay people. Like maybe I might send them an extra shirt or hat or something, you know, send them a, send them a mug. But, um, but, but I, you know, but I'm, I'm helping people where it's like, you're already, you're, you've already done the right thing on social media. You have great customer success with people. And so you're just helping them amplify those stories or pulling those stories back. That's where I love so many tools now too. It's like, hey, go on, like to me, getting video testimonials from people that your electrical company has worked with, that's that's influencer marketing, especially if you follow back up with it with campaigns so that people see the videos that they've given you so that they can share, hey, look, they talked about me. Like people will do that if you treat them right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's kind of a residual side effect if you ask people to talk about you and they do and then they want to share it with their audience and it just becomes a ripple effect. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and so often I like especially I mean, like I mentioned, like electrical company, it's like I mean, there are cases like that, although there are there's like there are, say, a couple things, service brands like uh, uh, direct, um, um, 
discount tire here in a uh, base out of kind of the South, they like, they're incredible uh, for customer success. And it's like, I talk about them just because I have a great experience with them. And it's like, it's, it's an automotive service company, which isn't usually where you get a lot of like stellar results, but it's like, it's so easy for anybody that's selling goods or anything that whether it's hiking, fishing, outdoors, gardening, like that's things that people want to talk about their hobbies and their life or what their kids are doing and the products are just part of it. And so it's just enabling like the, the your customers to be the superheroes of their own stories. And then whether you're sharing them back on your channels or you're just helping them share, share their stories out as well. I mean, heck it's great just to do campaigns with some of the influencer platforms now where it's like, you collect the videos that says, just tell me how you're using my tent. And, and, and then like, we're going to pick somebody at random, not even like the best. We're going to pick somebody at random and we're going to, you know, redo your camping, your camp, uh, your, your camping experience with your family. And you'll get, you'll get a thousand, thousand responses of people telling you about how much they love or dislike using your tent. Yeah. Look at you being the influencer now. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, and the, the thing that you can maybe even share more about is the idea of how the influencer marketing can really help your brand thrive and maybe even in a, an economy that's, let's just call it interesting now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that is part of the thing is, I mean, if for me, there is almost any interaction with the, with, with the potential client um, until even after somebody has been a repeat client for, for a decade, like that's, it's all marketing to me. And so whether it's customer support uh, issues people have getting testimonials like it should all be run through marketing or work, worked with like a marketing agency um, to help manage that because it like people brands especially smaller brands but um, they're successful from the follow-up and it's not just sending the single email that's out to for hey will you send us a testimonial yes that's that's a good part of it but as part of an integrated marketing plan that says, hey, look, you followed up with somebody, you want to send them an MPS uh, to say, hey, one through 10, how did we do? Okay, if it was an eight, nine or 10, then you can follow up and say, gosh, we'd love to hear more in video. Can you tell us about what that's been like? Or how did you use our product or service? How did it impact your family? And then, you know, using that in follow up or going back and asking for permission, which is a big deal if you didn't ask for it as part of the, the getting that initial uh, you know, video. Like that's things that, us as marketing operators, we're good at doing. The person that's running the business often isn't doing, they're good at their business. And what's gonna help their business go, uh, uh, grow is the follow-up and the operations that follows up to say, how was your experience? Was it good or bad? If it was bad, great, kick off a channel for that. If it was good, then kick off a different channel for that and where there are stories, then amplify those. And when, when it's done right, it gives great content that you can end up building stories for Google and then like you have to invest in SEO, but that content can be wonderful. And if you want to amplify it in, in, with pay-per-click, you could, but you don't have to, because as your point, we're in interesting times. Like the cost per click, cost per action has gone up like crazy in the last like 12 months. So it's like, this is not the time for most businesses have the extra margin to be dumping a whole bunch into pay-per-click. But this is a great time to actually start building a bank of organic content that may add even like a zero to the per to, to the owner's net worth over the next next couple of years if they do the work in the next six to twelve months. Oh yeah, I always say my my raise five R's ratings, rankings, reviews, referrals, and then rewards. <laughs> that's good. That's good. 
And now it's time for a message from one of our partners, KitCaster. Did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand? And KitCaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. We've had several guests from KitCaster on the Marketing Expedition podcast as well. So if you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with KitCaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. KitCaster is your secret weapon in podcasting for business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. Go to kitcaster.com expedition to apply for a special offer for friends of this podcast. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I also have students that listen to this. I um, teach as an adjunct at Boise State uh, as a marketing professor. So I love to ask questions that can help my students as well. What advice would you give to somebody who's about to graduate? They're about to get their real job and they might want to go into one of these industries and, and become a marketer. What do you wish you would have known that um, you know now that you would like to tell them to, to give them some guidance, advice, some mentorship? What would you like to share with them? Do not specialize. You'll need to for your job reps early on. But like there's a great book called Range, which really talks about how um, those that are really successful, those that will end up running their own businesses, um, they're not just good at one or two lo- uh, things. They, they have a diverse, uh, very diverse um, knowledge base and e- usually well outside of their areas. So if they were going into marketing and they were going to go into influencer marketing, that's great. They need to they, they need to spend all of their off hours or side hustle pro- uh, projects working in related marketing fields or try some very different things as well that they might never not actually practice in their normal jobs because it will pay off like huge, like not even dividends, multiples to them, you know, five to six years into their career. Yeah, sometimes niches don't always make riches. If you can be a well-rounded and knowledgeable person in multiple different areas, then if one area starts to dry up, you have the ability and knowledge in another area to to diversify and and like you said, have the skill sets that are going to carry you through, right? Yeah, that and to to know what questions to ask. I mean, so, so if somebody may come out and they go may go straight into. Um, even if they went straight into like pay-per-click ads, which is very specialized, like, hey, like I'm going to go to just an agency that only does pay-per-click ads a lot of times if I was spending like, you know, larger, lar- larger budgets. Um, okay. They, even there, it's like, but if you're getting early on, if you're somebody running a campaign, don't you need to at least know what is happening in email marketing, what the web design looks like. Are they focused or have they even thought about SEO? You you don't even know what questions to ask if you don't have the knowledge, at least a basic working knowledge of those er- other areas, much less from an accounting perspective. Like, hey, it's a really big thing to be able to have a conversation to talk about, hey, the, the investment in organic, and, uh, whether it's content or SEO, and it's a it, it's it's going to be cheaper longer term, but you're going to pay for X amount of time before you'll see terms. But if you put in pay per click dollars today, it's just like you'll get results tomorrow. But you're always going to have this flywheel that you have to put in money to get on the other side. Like that takes an accounting discuss- knowledge to actually have a real discussion with a, a business owner. I find in most cases, and so like like most marketers aren't capable of doing that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having an understanding of various different areas. And we just recently had our team watch financials 
for non-financial people (laughs) so that they at least have a basic understanding of why, if you pull this lever, what's going to be the end result if you do this or if you tweak this or, you know, and, and it's, it's important for them to understand why they're doing what they're doing and why it's important to, I don't know, bill our clients, (laughs) all of the above. So you mentioned one of the book's range, but what are some maybe other, you know, resources, things you listen to, things you read, or, you know, all of the above, what are some things that you stay on top of? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I do a lot of just uh, writing myself right now on uh, high achieving servant leadership. Um, so it's like I have a post that just went out on like 16 of those books that I would recommend uh, on my website. Um, there's a lot of ones that aren't great. Um, uh, somebody that comes from a faith background and strong in my faith. Um, actually, from a business perspective, don't recommend most books on servant leadership there. And actually, for that pure perspective, I, there's actually a number on that list where it's like, you don't you don't get it through most most CFOs at companies because it they come from a place that this is the just the right way to treat people. There's a couple on that list though, like Cheryl Backelder wrote a book called Dare to Serve. She was the uh, turnaround CEO for Popeyes Louisiana Kitchen, um, and so like you read her book and it's like well she does is a person of faith, but if you read her book, it's really clear if you want to grow something faster and higher than you could in any other business style servant leadership is the best way to go with that. And I think it's really helpful for people early on in their career to learn that, um, have, especially having been the hierarchical boss in the past um, that made people millionaires to the point, but they still won't, some of them still won't return my phone calls today because I was just such a bad boss. Um, like, hey, there's a different way to lead and it, it's a better result for clients and the business. Wow, that's pretty vulnerable. Thank you for sharing that because I think that a lot of people go through that journey where they transition from being kind of cutthroat and ruthless and, you know, it's all about the bottom line and the dollar and we got to, you know, make money, make money at the expense of people's mental health and their, you know, work-life balance that doesn't exist and all of the things. So, okay, what is your definition now then to be a servant leader, a leader that serves? I mean, there is a place, I mean, any, anybody who's really just pushing so hard in things, I mean, you, I can go back there and look at their, look, look and they're going to have huge employee turnover, huge churn, their costs for running their business are so much higher than if, if I'm treating people right, if I'm acknowledging that, hey, I may have people on my team where uh, their spouse comes down with a major medical condition like cancer, or you're with somebody through pregnancy or adoption or elder care. And it's like, you know, those are the people that are going to not just be there for you for, you know, the, the 40 hours you're asking somebody to show up for a full time, they're going to be there for you to go to war, which is really what it, what it takes is like, Hey, like I, I want people that are there for the outcomes we're trying to reach for the company. And part of that is the team that we have. And so it's like, if I, if you're treating people in a way that, um, that they feel cherished and they understand how their personal purposes match up with the company's purposes, they're going to look for new ways uh, often ways that are better than mine to uh, to help the company reach its goals. Also, when I'm hiring, guess what? They're going to bring people to me that they want to work with um, because they know what the environment's like. They love the environment. And they also want to bring usually only high performers, people that are at a high performing company um, that like the culture. They're not going to bring people that are going to you know phone in 20 hours and claim it's 40. They're not going to bring people that are um, you know, that, that, that are not great performers because they like what we have. And they, I mean, at the end of the day, like dollars are the blood flow for a company. 
the company doesn't make money, can't employ people. So if we can't employ people, we can't help people's lives. But 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 at the end of the day, I also like if I just burn through people, like there's only so many people I can go through as well. I mean, you see that with so many high tech companies where it's like you go look at their glass door rating and it's like, yeah, you wonder why people haven't worked there. And then same thing as I talk to small businesses and they're like, it's so hard for me to hire people. And I'm like, because um, I know how you treat people. And or on the other side, they treat some of their people, their people very well, but they're so quiet about like their company. Nobody knows that like, like it's a great environment to work in. Oh, that's you. You definitely hit that on the head. I think that I mean, I've been doing our business for 20 years and I definitely have seen a shift of, you know, how things go as you get a little bit smarter, a little bit more knowledgeable about how to treat people, how to make things work and better. But thank you for sharing that for sure. I definitely can relate. (laughs) So, okay, just because this is fascinating to me because you were willing to share, what are some, maybe some things that you think that you did that were the catalysts that made you shift in your, in your thinking about how you did treat people? Like maybe what were some examples without sharing names, obviously things that you, you, you know, like you said, maybe people won't call you back, but I mean, just as a kind of a journey to share, what are some things that you think that kind of caused that, that kind of animosity and, 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 you know, and then kind of bring us to where you are now, because I obviously see that you have definitely shifted and I love it, but just, you know, words of advice, words of examples of that, maybe leaders who are in that position where they were, you know, where they need to go now from where they, you know, maybe they are right now being that way that isn't healthy or beneficial, right? Give us some examples if you, if you care to share. Kurt. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the cases, well, I mean, at, at the very broad case, it's like, I, I kind of believe that like, if I walk, I, I was never the yeller at work. I hired a lot of yellers and fall, unfortunately, like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know how many F-bombs people could drop until I started hiring people from McKinsey. And I was like, wow, which, which isn't the case for, 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 for their culture now, but it was when I was hiring people from there. Um, but the, um, I believe that if I walked into a room and one person was crying, um, that, uh, that, that it was them. But if the whole room was crying or many people, it meant that I dialed it to 11 and I needed to dial back the pressure just maybe to a nine or a 10. Um, that's, that's how high I ran margin. And I didn't understand that concept of, uh, of, of burnout at all. Um, I mean, I got promoted very early uh, from, from an authority perspective, um, happened to be uh, very right on a lot, of, a lot of calls on a number of industries. And so we pushed really hard. And so looking back, I mean, like now I would look at things like I've been through elder care with three different, uh, three different uh, parents uh, between me and my wife's family. Like that's a major thing, especially when there's memory care in there, um, you know, childcare adoption from people. And it's like, well, you know, too many bosses, like they want, they want grace when they, they're going through those things. But if anybody on their team is going through those things, they still expect them to put in 50 hours that week. And I'm like, really? Like, if you're not treating people at least as good as you would want to be treated, why should they not take a better offer when I come to them with one? Because like those things, those things are temporal. Even, even stepping like, it, you know, like we'll say like one of the things like I, we stepped in for uh, with advanced uh, Alzheimer's with uh, with a family member of mine. Okay. It. It, that was four years of going through that, but it was six months where it was really the crucible while things were getting figured out. Well, like 
the company that I, one of the the company that I'm with now, they were with me during that time period. And so like I didn't even I've turned down countless offers since then. And so because they were there for me during that time period. I still work, but they were flexible with my hours and flexible with my time. And so it's like that's what people are looking for so often now. And there's so many of those scenarios as we look through it where it's like if you don't even know as a, as a leader to ask your team to know what's going on or to create an environment so that they feel comfortable enough just sharing those things. And sometimes they share it with everybody and sometimes they only share it with a small group. Like that's okay. I mean, I've had people come to me on teams where it's like somebody's tried to commit suicide on their team and me and one person in HR knows that still allows us to kind of help with flexibility and give and give credence. On the other side, somebody comes through and says, Hey, my spouse just got uh, you know diagnosed with cancer. And they tell everybody, and that's the first time you hear about it. That's up to the individual to share, but it's creating environments so that people are comfortable bringing that to it. And then also responding in a way. So it's like when, when, when the teammates see how you respond, they know that you'll be there for them as well. And people are more than willing to kind of give flexibility being like, well, things are really easy for me right now. So I'm happy to put in more time to cover for that person. Then. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's a really good share. Thank you for that. I think people listening can relate to, to that very much. So being in that position where you can be, where you're have um, empathy and, you know, being able to be that flexible boss or the, you know, leader that people want to work for because of that flexibility and that you do care. Right. And, and yeah, so thank you for, for sharing that. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more into what you're doing now and uh, into the future. What um, you said you're into real estate now. So share a little bit more because you, you've, you've kind of been this ongoing evolving, like you said, in giving, giving advice to our younger generation and being able to be knowledgeable in certain areas. And now you've delved into real estate. So share a little more about what you're up to now. Yeah. So I had joined a company called Showcase IDX that, um, especially for, for, for like any of your students that are listening that uh, the home search, like on Zillow, that, that uses hundreds of different data sources behind the scenes. And so we're, uh, Showcase IDX is one of, uh, the three main brands that by far the leader, uh, that provides that home search for individual agents, uh, brokers, um, for their individual websites. Marketing agencies use them to build, build usually WordPress websites with Showcase IDX. And so, um, did that, but uh, we ended up selling that company to EXP World Holdings. And so now I, uh, I run part of marketing and operations for EXP Realty. Actually run EXPRealty.com, their national, uh, their national uh, website um, built off of some of the same technology, but, but much different at this point. And a bunch of tools for agents and consumer interaction. And so it's kind of cool to have, you know, 86,000 or so internal uh, customers uh, to use a product when you come out with it. Uh, in addition to, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, if not more uh, consumers that use that the websites on a monthly basis. Yeah, sometimes you don't even know the agents are using all these tools to help them sell the homes. And, and it's pretty cool to see that. We just bought a house not too long ago. <laughs> Finally, we kind of were trying to navigate the whole housing boom and, you know, be on the websites and you had to like make an offer almost sight unseen and get there before somebody else. And of course it's kind of changed now, but I imagine that those tools are what allowed us to help make that happen. I think that if agents didn't have a presence online, it would be almost impossible for them to even be a real estate agent today. Wouldn't you say? 
It's just, yeah, well, it's just much harder as well. Uh, I mean, they can still get leads from you know from from some of the large portals, but there's this there there's you know one there's a huge opportunity for those that do it right um, to to generate mm-hmm. leads um, from Google and pay per click. But there there's a there's a, from a marketer's perspective, I didn't realize until I got into real estate um, that there there's such this loss or leakage of leads if you are as an agent because almost all agents are 1099 contractors, and so if if you don't, if I don't have my own website that my clients are actually using, the only thing I can guarantee them is that they're going to go use another site or Zillow. And Zillow makes like $2 billion a year basically selling advertising with leads and whatnot to, to other agents. So it's like if my clients, even if I meet somebody and then I, I get their lead information, I put them in my CRM, if they're still going to go use like another site, well, then a competitive agent is going to be calling them as opposed to if I have a website with the tools that they would actually want to use, because I can't force anybody to use anything nowadays. And so there's tools that they're actually going to want to use. And without that, like I couldn't, I didn't realize before I came into real estate, like, oh my gosh, imagine going into like an e-commerce site and going, yeah, 90% of the leads that you gather are going to be contacted by a competitive store or an electrical company and be like, yeah, you have a 15, 15 van shop. That's, you know, big, very big, you know, small business. And it's like, but 90% of the people that sign up your website or call you will still get called by a competitive electrician in your, in your area. Like that doesn't exist in any other industry really. Yeah. It's, it was pretty overwhelming how once, once the word got out that, you know, we were going to buy a house. Oh my goodness. The floodgates opened with emails and text messages and phone calls and postcards. And, you know, I mean, it just, well, and, and, uh, it was a little overwhelming, but I think that it's kind of if you're not out there in in the front and forefront of being there when it's needed and top of mind when somebody needs you, then it's you're missing out for sure. So um, the, those tools definitely help the industry in so many ways, which is interesting now because I think that the the way the market's going, you know, interest rates going up, and it's kind of like weeding out those that don't rise to the top, right? I mean, are you seeing some interesting things happen in, in the real estate industry now? I mean, personally, I mean, I think we you can just look back at any time there's been a, a real slowdown uh, or change in the uh, industry. There, there's always, uh, there, it always pushes out some of the, the, the more part-time uh, people, the agents that haven't produced as much, but there's a lot of people with real estate agent licenses. Um, and so, you know, it's, so it's like, there, there's always that ebb and flow. There's, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of people that do very few, if, if not, you know, zero transactions on an annual basis, but they have a license. And so um, I think it makes sense for anything. Same thing as in, I mean, this, in, this time when uh, industry kind of, or uh, the market slows down, it's the same thing for, you know, uh, marketing agencies that uh, aren't as established as yours or, you know, market, you know, individual marketing consultants. Well, it's like how many, how many, when things slow down, how many marketing agencies end up folding because they, they weren't built for it or they only had five clients and they lost two. Well, right. that's a problem then. And so um, I think anytime it's, it's good when there's a correction, but it's also so many businesses, whether you're a real estate agent or a marketing agency, people don't focus on profiting first. They, they tend to grow their business. And so, I mean, I, I mean, think anytime we see a slowdown across an in industry, I see solo entrepreneurs up to people with, you know, dozens and dozens of people on their team that should not fold when things slow down, just they slow down a little bit and their business implodes. And I'm like, yeah, you weren't taking off a healthy margin beforehand and planning ahead. 
a black swan event will always happen where, I mean, like if the market, if the market just slows down by 40%, like things will, things will be different, but it's like, but that's different than like planning to get like putting away grain in the storehouses for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it is, I say it is interesting because there are some industries that are doing quite well and there's other industries that are not. And so when we talked about earlier diversifying, you know, what you are capable of doing, you have to be able to ebb and flow with what people need and be able to do the things that are new or, you know, all the skills that are coming up and, you know, just being able to evolve with what's going on. And, and now, of course, AI is starting to take over the world and do things in, in, you know, integrating AI into how marketers market. Have you delved into any AI tools just yet, Kurt? Uh, I, I, I probably have 30 AI writer tools of some form licensed right now, in addition to chat GPT-4. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't know how many more I've tested. So um, I've tested a good many of them. Um, I, I, I think there, I mean, AI will clearly be very involved in the long term. I think from a content perspective, um, what we're going to, I mean, we're already seeing people that are highly skilled at adding inputs into tools like Jasper AI. Um, that's, a, that's a new almost like industry that comes out. Um, it's just, there's yet to be a, there's yet to be a uh, AI writer where I would trust their facts at all. Um, right. And right. But, but there's so many things where, from a technical SEO perspective, I can't tell you when the last time I actually wrote like rejects, redirects for a website. Like even now I've gotten back into some more of the technical stuff um, because I know I can actually just go to chat GPT and say, Hey, I need a PHP redirect that takes a URL that looks like this and changes it to something else. And it writes the code for me. Like I don't need to go to an engineer anymore. And so there's such a, there'll be such an advancement we see of things going forward. Um, but also it's just, it's wonderfully helpful for helping people uh, reword things to make it concise. Well, I will never trust the, I don't trust the answers of the facts that come out. I can give it a, a complex topic I've tried writing out and say, make the, you know, make this sound like Ryan Reynolds uh, explaining something to a fifth grader. And then <laughs> like, wow, the results are incredible. Yeah, well, and you're right. I, I tried to do some fun things with it too. And I asked it to write a bio for Ray Allen for me. And um, it got pretty accurate. But then there was some quirky, weird things that it said that I did in my you know career. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with yeah. me at all. <laughs> and it was fun to, to play with it. So it's kind of like, you have to still have human intelligence to be able to utilize the artificial intelligence. And I don't think that the human element will ever go away entirely because you do, you have to kind of fact check and you have to, you know, massage the, the, the copy enough to make it, you know, plausible and, and real as to what you would want it to say or do, or if it's, you know, content written piece, or even now where you can use AI to generate images that, you know, otherwise you need me not exist. So it's, it's just really fascinating to see where this is going to take us. What, what I'm worried about is when, you know, the deep fake where, you know, maybe a court case is, is all, uh, you know, inclusive in, in photo evidence, right. Is if, is, if it's manipulated or not. And <laughs> that's yeah. going to be an interesting thing that uh, could occur. Right. Well, and the circular references that happen online. I mean, there was a news story just uh, in the last week or two where some law professor um, somebody had sent him, they asked, uh, they, they went to chat GPT and they asked for 
um, you know, five stories of impropriety from uh, from from like significant law, uh, law figures, and like three of the people that it made up things about were entirely inaccurate. And this gentleman, it made up uh, like a, a claims of sexual harassment and a fake Washington Post story that didn't exist, including a quote from that story in the response for it. And <sighs> like, and he was like, just like his mind was blown. More of just like, hey. Clearly, like this wasn't him or the two other people that were mentioned in there. But he was like, but but what happens when 50 news stories pick that up and they don't reference back to where the source came from? And so some of that will be kind of quite interesting. I just there, there are topics that always make sense. But I mean, um, and I, I like the debate. The ability to ask my Echo Dot, you know, questions about like what's the weather, the humidity. Those are things that I don't need. Um, I don't need a diverse viewpoint of things. But it's like I don't trust my general doctor on things. That's why you get second opinions or third opinions sometimes on complex issues. It's like why, hey, as a marketer, I know that hey, there are certain topics that like yeah, Google Snippet is going to answer something for somebody, and there's other th- topics where. If there's not an article I could write about how to buy a $150,000 RV that would answer the searcher's full intent, they're going to hit three to seven of those articles if they're trying to do that research because they're looking for a diverse set of viewpoints. I'm hoping, you know, like if I was to write that article, that, that I'm going to be in that listing for them. But that Google also knows that. So there's not just an answer. It's like, hey, I have 150 grand. What RV should I buy? There's not a single answer to that. It's dependent upon the person. And so, but but there's also a lot of things where AI is going to get a lot better with that. Like, I love telling brands now, I'm like, repurpose your social media content repeatedly. Like, it's horrible that Google, that Facebook only shows, like, your content to one-tenth of one percent of your people. You can also repurpose it 50 times over the next year, and chances are it's not going to see it, and you almost can't post too much. Because the algorithm is going to show things to people as much as they're wanting to see that content. That's that's machine learning, not necessarily AI, but like the AI gets to know my wants and wishes. And so if I was searching for that 150 grand RV that I mentioned, it might be able to say, Kurt, you probably just want to read these three articles, not these seven. Right. Okay. I'm still going to go read multiple though. Yeah. Well, and when you repurpose it, the goal though, is that you don't want it to be exactly the same on multiple different platforms, because then it's going to pick up to say, oh, this is, you know, you're plagiarizing or you're copying or, you know, whatever. Right. So that's always, I always say, if we're going to repurpose content, it needs to be different on each platform. And, and, And when you have different audiences on each platform too, you want to write to what is going to be more accepting to an Instagram audience versus a, you know, LinkedIn audience, for example, yep. right? So when you repurpose it, just make sure that it's repurposed for the right platform, for sure. Excellent. Oh my gosh, we could talk all day. <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, but let's go ahead and, and a couple more questions and we'll wrap up, Kurt. Um, what is it that you want people to listening today? Um, how do you want them to get a hold of you? What do you want them to kind of wrap up and know what maybe 30 seconds of what you would really want everyone in our audience that are marketers, that are students, that are entrepreneurs? What's something that you really want to share with them today, Kurt? Uh, I mean, the the whole bit about high achieving servant leadership is a much better way to uh, run your your how you show up in your career, but also run a business if you have people leading you um, is something that I think every I wish everybody would take away. Um, I'm writing a lot about it right now. 
Um, and so a lot of uh, the new topics uh, that I'm putting out in videos are coming from people asking questions on my website. And so if there's topics you'd like that I, you don't see, uh, come to my website and let me know, and I will probably write an article about it. That's how the one about books that you asked about earlier came about. So. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And go ahead and mention your website. KurtEuler.com. So. And it's U-H-L-I-R.com. Kurt, K-U-R-T, U-H-L-I-R. Okay, cool. Um, excellent. Thank you so much for sharing so many wonderful things and just your journey of where you've been and where you're going and all the fun things that you have to offer this world. Really appreciate it. And thank you for being a little vulnerable with us. And I definitely think people can relate to where you know, you've been and where you're going now. So thank you again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for those of you listening, uh, please share this with others that you know that need to hear what Kurt had to say today. And of course, give us that Google review or Apple review, whatever, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Those reviews are like gold to podcasters. So thank you for those of you who have. I'm going to start doing some shout outs to all of those who have given us reviews. So there's your fair warning. Give us a review and we'll share your name out. Because like you said earlier, Kurt, people want to hear and see what they've done. And it's going to help us accelerate that word of mouth right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, until next time, everybody enjoy your marketing journey. Thanks for listening to the marketing expedition podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.